Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save forty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower dot com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber dot com. Welcome to Germany Elects, a special world review podcast series on the German election from the New Statesman. I'm Jeremy Cliff, international editor of the New Statesman. In this special sixth episode of Germany Elects, which we're recording on Monday, the 27th of September, so the morning after election day, we're going to recap the results of yesterday, where Germans went to the polls, and look ahead to what happens next. And to do that, I'm joined from her quarantine in Tel Aviv, day six, by Emily Tamkin, our US editor. Emily, thank you for joining us again from your busy schedule of quarantine. Yeah, thank you so much. Great to be back, Jeremy. Big night last night. What happened? Okay, so let's go through the key results. Break it down for us, Jeremy. I'll break it down. The first complete provisional result has just been published by the federal returning officer here in Germany, and the headline is that it's been a good night for the centre-left SPD and a bad night for Angela Merkel's CDU/CSU. So let's go through the the key numbers. The SPD is set to be the biggest party in the next Bundestag. It got. 25.7% of the vote the CDU CSU so Merkel's center right alliance is down 8.8 points to 24.1% in third place are the greens on 14.8% which is um, a historically good result for them and they're actually the biggest winners here at up 5.9 points but not as brilliant as some of the polling earlier in the campaign suggested they would do in fourth place it's the conservative liberal fdp up slightly on 11.5% The far right AFD is down slightly. Good news there to ten point three percent, and the far left party is down quite significantly, four point three points to four point nine percent, which would potentially be enough to have it leave the Bundestag. There's a famous five percent threshold for being represented there, but they have uh, constituencies which help them uh, stay there. So that's the overall picture. So that's what happened, and now what does that mean for the Bundestag? Well, it means first of all a very fragmented Bundestag. A phrase that's being thrown around here in Berlin in political circles is Dutchification, because we're moving from the the old world of a 
of a sort of two to three party system in Germany, as it was for most of, at least in West Germany, for, for, for most of the Federal Republic's history, to a very fragmented parliamentary picture. So as I said, the SPD is going to be the largest group on 206 seats. Uh, so it seems in a parliament of 735, which by the way, will be the biggest ever Bundestag, partly a product of what the fragmentation does to that German seat arithmetic that we discussed in the last episode, CDU, CSU, 10 points lower on 196 seats. But then we've got significant groups from the Greens, the FDP, the AFD, the left party. And just to add an extra bit of spice to the mix, there's probably going to be a new party in the parliament. There'll be one seat for the South Schleswig voter bloc, which is a tiny party from the far north of Germany that represents the Danish minority and therefore is exempt from the 5% threshold. Some of us at various election events last night were joking about the situation where somehow this tiny party holds the balance of power and gets to dictate the terms of the new coalition agreement and everyone in Germany ends up having to speak Danish and eat herring. But that's another <laughs> a hypothetical that we probably can leave for now. Okay, so aside from the Danish, the new Danish political kingmakers, was there anything last night that surprised you? I was surprised that the Greens didn't do a bit better. We discussed this on the last Germany Elects podcast, but climate change has been a big subject in this election. There was a sense that this was a climate election in the way that previous German elections weren't. And they've done really well. They were on 8.9% at the last election. They're up to almost 15%. Any party in any democratic political system would see that as a success. And the mood at the party's election night event last night was very upbeat. But there will be questions asked about could they have done more to cap capture the kind of political momentum to make the most of this green political moment. Just one other observation, and that is that there, there is a very stark age gradient on these results. Among under 30s, for example, overwhelmingly, the biggest parties are the Greens and the FDP, followed by some distance by the SPD, the Social Democrats. Whereas among older voters, it's still like the old Federal Republic. It's still dominated by the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats. And I think this is going to be interesting when it comes to forming a government. You know, Germany's been governed, governed for 12 of Merkel's 16 years by grand coalitions of the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats. It looks, and we can come on to this next, that the Greens and the FDP will be powerful players in the next government. And I think what that will mean is that the voter base of the next government could be substantially younger than it has been under grand coalitions. And I think that might change the character of government and it might change the interests and the priorities that it pursues. I do want to ask you about the different potential coalitions and what will, not just what's next for the Bundestag, but what's next for the next German government. But first I wanted to ask you, I saw, I was looking at a map this morning and saw that the Greens did especially well in urban centers, which is funny. If you if you think of it as we love the environment, but we live in cities. Um, but I understand that's not what the Greens are about. But I was I my question is: Was there anything else about the regional breakdown of these votes that that jumped out at you? Yeah, as I mentioned last week, the constituency votes, the two hundred and ninety nine constituency seats in the Bundestag, don't dictate the overall result. That was decided by those second list votes. But it's still really interesting how the constituency map of Germany has changed at this election. You look at it last time, and the CDU or the CSU came first in the vast majority of constituencies last time. Now we've seen the SPD sweep most of northern Germany, particularly its own sort of traditional strongholds like the industrial parts of the Ruhr Valley or the Rhineland, but also rural regions across the north and centre of the country. The CDU has held on in the southwest in, in, in sort of rural parts of Baden-Württemberg, which is the state immediately bordering France. The CSU remains the major force in Bavaria, although there too it's been knocked back. We, 
that's a, a subject for another day, but interesting to see how uh, recriminations now fly between the CDU and the CSU, those two parties of that alliance. And as you say, the Greens have won a series of constituencies, which is a big deal. Traditionally, they've only ever held one constituency, which is a sort of bohemian or hipstery part of central Berlin. They've now taken a number, including central Stuttgart, uh, Freiburg, University Town in the southwest, uh, Munich South. And these are places that one probably would have predicted the Greens would do well in. their urban, high levels of education relatively diverse, very socially liberal. But I think it's significant because it shows the Greens starting to get a purchase in sort of bourgeois parts of the country. And to hold constituencies gives you a certain link to voters, it gives you a certain infrastructure. And so I mentioned previously that the Greens might be a little disappointed by this result compared to where they were in the polls a few months ago. But I think the fact that they have these constituencies, and they've got some they've got some very good MPs in some of them. So for example, Chem Özdemir in Stuttgart is a real strength. He's being talked of as a possible minister. In the long term, that might help them build an infrastructure with which they can grow further. A little bit of green growth, if you will. One can say that, yes. Yeah, okay, so that's how the votes were cast. What does it mean? There was a lot on Twitter.com last night about, oh, will this be an ample? Will it Jamaica? What do you see as being the likeliest potential coalition. And and you had both Laschet and Schultz saying, like, making noises that they wanted to be the one to lead the next government. What do you think happens next in coalition talks? Yeah, in the immediate reactions to the exit poll, which actually had the two parties neck and neck. So the initial exit poll by the ARD, Germany's main or first public broadcaster, had the two parties on 25% each. Obviously, as the results came in over the course of the evening, it became clear that the SPD had a slight lead. Predictably, given how close it was, yes, Ashut, the Chancellor candidate of the CDU-CSU, and Olaf Scholz of the SPD um, claimed a right to form a government. So they're both going to try and lead the next government. Obviously, the SPD has a slight advantage because it's the largest party. But as we mentioned on this podcast before, you don't have to be the largest party to lead a German government. Germany's been led, or the Federal Republic's been led by the second largest party for parts of its history. And arithmetically, there are three possibilities. There is a government, as you say, ample or traffic light, a red, green, yellow, so the SPD, the Greens and the FDP. There's Jamaica, the CDU, CSU, the Greens and the FDP. Those are both perfectly arithmetically possible. The next Bundestag will have 735 seats. Traffic light would have um, 416 together. The Jamaica coalition would have 406. So in both cases, room for room for rebellions and so forth. Those will be workable governments. And then there is the spectre of yet another grand coalition. This would be presumably led by the SPD because it's going to be the largest party, but that would have 402 seats. I think uh, it remains most likely that we'll have a government, a a three-part government, where the uh, Greens and the FDP are the kingmakers. That obviously depends on coalition talks. But one of the really interesting developments last night was that we saw the Greens and the FDP propose that they negotiate first together before they go to one of the bigger parties, which was a little unexpected, but actually very clever because it it, it allows them to square off their differences. And there are some big differences, especially between those two parties, and then go to the bigger parties. So I think that could increase the leverage that those, those two smaller parties, which remember, as I just said, have a particularly young voter base compared to the overall average in the German system. It gives them greater leverage in the coalition. I think there are probably some listening to this who will say, it's the Greens, so they'll go with Schultz and it's going to be ample. Which do you think is likelier? And what do you think are the potential pitfalls for both of those potential constellations? 
Well, yes, this is one of the complications of this coming coalition negotiation period. The Greens traditionally are closer to the Social Democrats. They've governed with them at a federal level before, between 1998 and 2005. The FDP, on the other hand, are closer to the Christian Democrats. And yet they will both have to get into bed with one of those two parties to form a government if we're not to have another grand coalition. One thing I would say, though, is that the SPD making those big gains coming first, albeit narrowly, the fact that Scholz is obviously so much more popular than Lascher, that's been proven in poll after poll, I think gives traffic light an additional sense of momentum that Jamaica doesn't have. There's a sense that Scholz has something of a mandate there's a sense that some of the differences that maybe a month or so ago we would have said would have made a traffic light government difficult, including relations between the FDP and the Greens, are, are looking more surmountable now than they did previously. There's been some very interesting mood music coming out of um, those parties, including the FDP, about the possibility of a common agenda based around public investment that reconciles the FDP's fiscal conservatism with opportunities to invest through sort of special vehicles for long-term investment that are allowable within the German debt break, for example. And I was last night at an event at a centre-left think tank that was pushing quite heavily the idea of a traffic light coalition. And there was a prominent economist there who was making the point that the Greens want to solve climate change or want to decarbonize the German economy through public investment. And, so, and that's, that's true of the Social Democrats too, to some extent. The FDP, on the other hand, want to um, do so through the private sector, through the market. But he was talking about the ways in which those two goals are reconcilable, that you use greater public investment in certain areas, but you also use regulation and tax policy to drive innovation and sort of entrepreneurship in the private sector. And he talked about a sort of a traffic light agenda where you'd have a kind of a marriage between centre-left public investment-driven approach to climate protection and a more kind of centre-right market-driven one and the ways in which those are complementary. So there's some fascinating discussions taking place here in Berlin and we'll have to see what comes of those. Do you think there's a wariness against a another Grand Coalition? There is. There's a sense that the Grand Coalitions under Merkel, yes, they provided stability and moderate centrist government. Yes, they had their achievements, but they were not boldly reforming governments. This is often ascribed to Merkel herself and her chancellorship and her style of government. Indeed, I've done so in my own profile of Merkel. But I think it's worth saying that's also a product of the fact that you had these two big tent parties running government. And there's a sense that Germany needs something more dynamic. Neither of the two big parties really wants another grand coalition. So I think if a traffic light or a Jamaica coalition and as I just said, I think traffic light is now slightly more likely than Jamaica, but I don't think you can rule out Jamaica. If one of those does turn out to be possible, then I think that will be more likely than a grand coalition. But the grand coalition will always be there as a sort of backstop. If the coalition talks break down, as they did last time when Merkel tried to form a Jamaica coalition after the 2017 election, the natural alternative will be a grand coalition. And, and that might end up back on the table. Albeit, as I said, it looks like the power relationship would be switched. It would be led by the SPD and Schultz rather than the Christian Democrats. OK, we've been speaking about what happens generally, but specifically now that we're in the coalition, not me, but now that they're in the coalition talk stage, what how does this work? What happens now? So next up, there will be meetings of the new parliamentary groups of each of the parties. So the elected MPs will gather in Berlin to, to meet as groups for the first time. And there will obviously be a lot of sort of backroom discussions between parties. There is this interesting idea that the Greens and the FDP will talk to each other first 
before going into wider coalition talks. As I said, I think that's a clever idea. Indeed, there are rumours here in Berlin that, that they have been talking even before the election. There's been talk of contacts between kind of green-friendly uh, parts of the FDP and FDP-friendly parts of the Greens for a number of weeks about how they might find compromise and, and prevent a sort of divide-and-rule negotiating strategy by either or both of the bigger parties. Then we enter what's known as Sondierungen, or exploratory talks, which is a kind of a completely informal series of discussions about possible coalitions. It's not governed by any constitutional structures. It's entirely casual. And those are used to sound out possibilities and see where there might be a possible coalition deal to be done. Those alone could take a number of weeks. And then if one form of constellation looks doable, and I would incline to thinking that traffic light is the most likely to come out of that, that process looking feasible, then you'd enter a formal period of actual coalition negotiations where a coalition deal would be drawn up. And coalition deals in Germany tend to be quite long and detailed. It's not like in the UK in 2010, for example, where it's just a rough framework sketched out over a kind of handful of days. There could be twists and turns along the way. There would be big ideological differences in, in, in any of the possible governments, particularly traffic light in Jamaica. We saw in 2017 how coalition talks can go wrong, how a party can walk out. Um, and it's perfectly possible that we won't have a, a coalition deal by Christmas. And of course, that, that would also have an additional outcome, which is that Merkel, I think on the 17th of December, would surpass Helmut Kohl to become the longest serving Chancellor of the Federal Republic. So if the coalition talks do drag on, she will pass a, a historical milestone before the end of the year. But it, it could be that we don't get a government until early 2022. Wow. In the meantime, she just wants to eat the potato soup at this point. She, she, yeah, she just wants to get out to the woods and eat that potato soup. But Merkel will, it seems, be at the helm of Germany's lame duck or interim government for uh, a few months more. All right. She has a little longer and we have a little longer to find until we know what the next government of Germany will look like. We will indeed. Thank you very much for dialing in again from Tel Aviv to talk me through this. And we hope that has been useful to listeners to understand what's gone on here in Germany. There will, of course, be rolling analysis on our website. We have a live blog up from last night, from election night at newstatesman.com. Um, also, all of our coverage is at newstatesman.com slash Germany. More to come on there over the coming days. And we will also be back with a special bonus episode of Germany Elects in cooperation with the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung, which is a political foundation here in Berlin, to talk about those coalition talks about the agenda for the next government next week. And that will be out next Tuesday, October 5th. So do look out for that. Jeremy, congratulations on a successful election night, a successful election live blog. And I, for one, will be tuning in at newstatesman.com to, to find out what happens next. Thank you. The joy of potentially long coalition talks is that the fun just doesn't stop. So much more to cover Germany in the next weeks and months. Anyway, thank you, Emily, for that. When do you get released from your quarantine? I think listeners will want to know. Hopefully uh, after tomorrow, after Tuesday. Okay, fingers crossed for your, both in the interest of your Israel reporting and your general sanity. Thank you very much. Listeners, thank you for joining us for this Germany Elects special podcast on the results of the German election. As a reminder, you can find all of our previous episodes of this podcast on the World Review podcast feed. You can go back. We talked about a lot of the, the deeper issues, the challenges facing the next government. Those are still there if you want to listen back to those. And thank you for listening and for your kind comments about this podcast. This has been a bit of a new experiment for the New Statesman, a pop-up podcast like this, and we've been very interested to hear your thoughts on it and very pleased to know that a number of you have found this quite interesting and useful so that's really great to hear you've been listening to Jeremy Lex a special world review pop-up podcast from the new statesman i'm jeremy clifford berlin you can 
read all of our coverage at newstatesman.com slash Germany. Follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Clint. This podcast was produced by Adrian Bradley. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.